Welcome to the next episode of A Communist Plot. I'm not saying that I don't remember how many we've already recorded, because that would be that would seem like something an irresponsible person would do. Yeah, we could have looked before we started. We, we could have like looked. five episodes. This was never supposed to be a, a, a continuous thing. But. Welcome to the next episode of A Communist <laughs> Plot. Okay, um, we're, we're hoping once again to be able to do some episodes to be, like, released during Spooky Month, during, during, I almost said during Halloween, during October, and, uh, I think it's, it's September, it's, 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 it's Spoopy Month instead of Spooky Month. Yeah. So we're just, we're getting, we're, we're gearing up. We're gearing up. We're being proactive. Um, and I think we might, uh, schedules allowing, we might try to go to a couple of, we aren't going to do like the cemetery reviews like we did last time. Cause we, we saw the kind of main large cemeteries. Uh, oh, wow, I blew right into the speaker. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. Um, uh, Around around Nashville and uh, and Franklin, but there are a couple of like cool places that we might go to that are a little bit farther afield, so we- there wouldn't be as many of them because it is uh, September whatever of yeah twenty like you know a thousand days into twenty twenty um, apparently yeah so yeah still have to be careful. We're recording this for posterity to the kids so they can know what it was like. Yeah. But yeah, we're hoping to maybe go to to a few a few cool places and talk about them, maybe do a little bit more research before if, we go. Yeah, if, if possible so we have more to say. Um I think that I really, really want to go to um Mammoth Caves and the cemetery there. That would be baller. We should do that. I like I think just like also stuff about the caves because mm-hmm. it was also a tuberculosis retreat and it also um the basically the people who discovered the caves, a lot of their graves are there. And so basically it is a lot of the uh slaves who base single handedly like discovered this massive cave system. Um, and actually in, in a, in a surprisingly, uh, I guess enlightened way, they actually do really try and pay tribute and actually talk about the immense job that these men did, um, in discovering these caves. But yeah, so that would be really cool because their, their graveyard is a little bit set to the side. Yeah. Yeah. We should do that. We should make a list. We have two places now specifically and then some I, I vague don't know ideas what the, i don't know what the little like church steeple the ones in sparta yeah 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 i think that's a specific i write about it a little bit it's like a specific style like i can't remember some group i think it's their specific style and see if we research before we go we'll know that kind of thing and can talk about it oh my god wow so uh would you like to um kind of brief us on what you want to discuss today oh sure um so i read well okay i'll start with i i uh got on my dear old friend jay store don't let them know that you still have access. <laughs> no, you can get a, a hundred free articles a month if you just oh. sign sign up. Because I don't people... still have access because I tried my my OU login and oh. it no longer worked because I had graduated. This so can so year. can people who aren't the higher educated can they also? Yes, I signed up with my Gmail account. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So. So this is me uh, looking for articles on JSTOR that were uh, specifically about class and cemeteries, death, funerals, that sort of thing. 
And uh, the the first article that I can't remember what my search terminology was, but somehow I framed it very narrowly, so I only had like five or six results. I went back and tried to like do, replicate it, replicate it, and it's still getting like three thousand articles. And I was kind of like, oh, and which some of them look really cool, so I I, I I'm saving them for later. But uh, yeah, I don't know how. This is one of the few articles that came up doing that kind of narrow... Maybe I searched, like, capitalism? I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, this is an article. It's from 1950, uh, so it's 70 years old. Just to make everyone feel old. Yeah. The 1950s were 70 years ago. I was like, when I first was doing this, I was like, well, this article's 50 years old. Like, that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And I was like... Baby girl, it's not 1999. Yeah, because we're like, because I think that's like where it's just like, oh yeah, no, it's like the the millennial, like the turn of the centuries, where we're like, we're still thinking back as far as like subtraction, just like from the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. I do that too all the time, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's not 2005 anymore. It's mm -hmm. not 1995. It is. <laughs> mm -hmm. But regardless of it being a 70 year old. Uh, article, I think it is kind of interesting. Um, and especially just also as kind of a time capsule of, like, mm -hmm. how people thought back then as well as, you know, having more, I guess, like, more recent data. Um, like, I mean, like, recent data for that time. Mm -hmm. And so this is, uh, this is an article uh, in the American Sociological Review uh, called Status After Death by William... M. Kephart. This article looks specifically at Philadelphia. And Kephart interviewed a bunch of, I think, funeral directors, uh, managers of cemeteries, monument makers, flower shops, and mourning shops um, to, to get this info where since it was the 50s um were was this article segregated or like desegregated uh he i he does talk about the fact that there were no uh cemeteries for black people in city limits except if you were catholic the catholic cemeteries were just catholics like that's all that's a, it you just had to be catholic and you okay. could go in there um they were not at, at this point, they were not segregated. Um, I was just wondering about, like, the data, if, like, he, like, got, like... But he did go to... There were still some funeral parlors okay, okay. in the city that were run by black families. Um, and, of course, they would have to take, you know, the stuff of... You know, they would do the, the service or the viewing or whatever at the funeral parlor. But then they would have to travel in order for the burial. They would have to go outside city limits. Um, thus making it more expensive. But I thought this is interesting because he, one of the problems that he talks about pretty early on is when he was trying to, he was trying to do this, this study about social class and found that actually kind of difficult to define for the people he was interviewing. So it ended up being about economic class. And one of the problems that he ran into sometimes talking to these uh, funeral directors and stuff was that he would ask them something about the lower, you know, a, a lower, you know, lower class people, and they would describe the habits of, like, Italians! And he was just kind of like, no. <laughs> like, there are, there are Italian, there are Italian families all over the economic spectrum, um, you're just describing, like, like, Italian traditions. This isn't, like, a lower class thing. This is just an Italian thing. And so he's, like, running, in, he ran into that problem, too. So, like, the idea of, like, the prejudices of the quote-unquote new immigrant wave were still very much there in mm -hmm. the 50s. Okay. That's, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So... So yeah, that's the, the the kind of he found that the uh, the idea of a middle class is kind of difficult to nail down even at that time, and 
like, and then the habits of the middle class were also kind of difficult to nail down. It was much more a discrepancy between the wealthy and everybody else. Do you think that that had something to, I'm going to ask you about the history of Philadelphia, like we know, but like, do you think that maybe that could have been something within Philadelphia or like bigger cities? Yeah, it could have. Like maybe the middle class was like more out in the suburbs? Yeah, it, it could be. I don't really. I don't yeah. Know oh, sorry. I'm, I'm asking questions that I don't know answers to. It's okay. So they're just kind of the, the general conclusions that he starts out with like just some, some generalized things saying that like uh and th- he he started with talking about like some older traditions that like per- like watching like watching the body which i know is a uh continues as a jewish tradition that it continues as a jewish tradition but also um outside of the jewish faith i know that some of that came from a people watching the bodies because of grave robbers, um, because of the whole like body snatching or getting um, items or like things they are buried mm-hmm. with. Um, but it also comes from when people would get sick and fall into comas. Right. And that's Not what, that's what the, that's, yeah, that's what the wake is for is literally, that's where the word wake comes from. They are waiting to see if this person wakes up because if they, if they don't wake up within three or four days of falling into, they're going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, it comes from, it also can come from the very real fear that people had of being buried alive. Yeah. So talking about uh, kind of one of the first things to be truly commodified was professional watching. Cause it used to be the family members would do it. And then it got to the point where it's like, oh, we can pay people. Like, if you had enough money, you could pay people to do that. So you didn't have to, you, you didn't have to do that yourself. And that is just one, one example of the eventual commodifying of every aspect of. No, so, so when you say that, do you mean like actually like where people would sit with the body? They would actually just like pay a funeral, like a person at the funeral company to sit with the body. I think so. Wow. I guess the earliest, sti- or the most recent statistic he could find was that in 1942, $560,900,000 are spent on funerals. And death, everyone is equal, except not. Yeah, except, yeah, that's what this is about, <laughs> except not. Um, so, okay, I already went through this. Um... Oh, yeah, one of the things one of the things that he notes at the beginning also is that over the course of his research, he found that naturally, as he guessed, uh, religious and ethnic differences uh, are much bigger than class differences ultimately in um, so like- in how in how much burials end up costing because of different like, you know, just different the way different uh groups mourn so like possibly if a group mourned in a communal way and had more people pitching as in as a community it might cost less versus like the new waspy like nuclear family basically doing it all in the family yeah Um, i'm just guessing this is not what I'm, i'm just i'm i'm riffing yeah, and so he's looking at location of funeral, cost of caskets, elapsed time between death and burial, flowers, mourning and mourning clothes, funeral processions, and cemeteries, and just kind of like the, the overall like differences in costs with that. Um, Let's get down to the nitty gritty. So, like an example, uh, cremation at that point was an upper class thing and it didn't, it happened rarely in lower class families. Was Uh, this because of cost or because of like, that was seen as like a desecration of the body? I don't know. It might've been cost. I'm not a hundred percent sure when cremation started being a thing, but I know for, for a while, like when cremation was a relatively newish thing, like a, those sorts of 
facilities cost enough money for funeral homes to have, uh, or for just cremation services, um, that, and it, 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 I think they weren't sure if it was like a fad or not, too, uh, that there weren't a lot of places that, there were much fewer places than there are now that you could get that done. I also wonder that, like, if, a, with, population rise and because that's always a big thing mm -hmm. with with cemeteries is lack of room so i wonder if cremations in cities especially began to popularize as like we started to run out of room mm -hmm. i wouldn't be surprised i know that now like i know a lot of people who want to be cremated is also just because the idea of like being in a box underground yeah if like not something somebody wants to do <laughs> But, like, going back to, like, what you were saying about family tradition, I know that, like, in a lot of, um, kind of, like, older traditions, um, the idea of, like, the body being whole and, like, mm -hmm. having a body mm -hmm. and the body being whole was also, like, a big thing. So that's why I was kind of wondering about, like, people being like, whoa, what do you mean they burn? Like, at least in, in, in Western, I know that in other, in yeah. other parts of the world, like, cremation is a perfectly natural thing, but in the Western... I, I just know, like, there's a lot of stuff about, like, the importance of having a body. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of ties into uh, that article, or the, yeah, I think it was an article that we talked about, like, a long time ago, before, um, about, it was William Godwin talking about, kind of, like, needing a place, like, the, the, the cemeteries are for the living, and uh, needing to know where it's like if your loved one is gone, the closest you can get to them is their dead body and needing to know where they are. So like not to get personal again, because I've talked about my dead dad a couple of times on this podcast, but uh, he specifically like one of the reasons why he wanted to be cremated. A, it was the whole being in a box thing, but B, my father specifically did not want me to feel like I had to go and tend to his grave. Mm -hmm. I think that that was something that was like a great source of um, guilt for him, especially since like he did not live where his, like where the family gravesite was. Mm -hmm. So he could not go out there and tend to his mother and father's graves. Um, also just like uh, his, where his home was, was kind of depressing to him, especially since like his mother died super young. Um, but yeah, just like he, I think that he was depressed about going there, but also it made him feel guilty that like he did not tend yeah. to them because they didn't want because to pass it, that on to you. Yeah, yeah. because it like, because it was a representation of them. He felt bad. About, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like, yeah, so he went hard the other way for me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Which like, but like when you, when he said that at first, I was, I was like, I don't mind like yeah. having, if he was just like, no, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Mm -mm. I was just like, oh, okay. Thanks, Dad. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's. I like don't want to talk to my dad about that because I think he would be really uh, depressed. But I'm also kind of curious about if he feels because I imagine that he might feel similarly to your dad about his parents and his brother because they're in Nebraska and he's here and he hasn't been back to Nebraska in like. 15, 20 years, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I think that, like, because, like, uh, my, my great aunt was like, she was like, you want to go to the family, she was like, do you want to go to the family grave, uh, grave site? And I was just like, okay. And so we went to the one where, like, recent family members are buried. So, like, member, like, her, um, brothers and sisters, my grandmother, um, and grandfather and but then there's the old family cemetery where people are actually still buried but it's the old uh gross close cemetery and like people from like i don't know i don't know if it's like people who are like died in 1800 were buried there but it's like definitely people who were like born in like 1800 buried in this family plot and it's still upkept but it was it was kind of nice to just like go and like see pieces of history and like pieces of my family mm -hmm. as like, what you were saying is, like, it was for the living. It was, like, me kind of going and, like, visiting my family members. Mm -hmm. But I, I didn't find it 
creepy because also there was that thing of like it being removed where like I didn't feel bad about like not going and seeing these people that I knew because I didn't know them but it was like mm-hmm. a mark of the it was a mark of my family but yeah I didn't the guilt there was not a guilt involved I didn't have that feeling of like yeah yeah although it's something like maybe um because yeah your dad might actually your dad and your mom might have like specific ideas of what they want to do that you might not have like really like oh okay I yeah but it is something where you're like how do I talk to this person but like not make it a superstitious thing so like so when you die what what do you want to do what do you want to do just uh just uh I mean maybe you can make it a guise for this just like hey we're doing this podcast oh yeah Mm, we're interviewing people about different things can I interview you yeah like and then never and then, yeah, never, yeah. <laughs> we listened to your podcast, and you never, you guys never talked about that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Back to the actual episode, sorry. Okay. No, no, it's fine, it's fine. It's all quality content. Um, uh-huh. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> the, so then he talks, uh, what's his name, Kep, Kep, Kephart? Kephart talks about his... Uh, this is interview summaries for for all of these different questions that he asked these all these different people. So there's a lot of this where it's just like the cost of like place of funeral. It's like cost is proportionate to the wealth of of the class of people who who's having this funeral. Much like today, life insurance policies were used to mostly just to defray the cost of a funeral. Uh, price tag on rich funerals are higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought this was this was an interesting uh, excerpt. Um, maybe a little humor, maybe. Uh, <laughs> so caskets can cost up to, this is at this time, caskets could cost up to $15,000 for a solid bronze In one. In 1942? Uh, 50. 1950. 1950? Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, and solid bronze. Quote, the $15,000 variety has practically no sale in Philadelphia, though reportedly four or five per year are sold in New York City to customers other than gangsters. Footnote, <laughs> lavish gangster funerals la- are largely mythical, evidently a Hollywood fabrication. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Um... So I yeah, wonder what, I wonder what that's in like Chicago. I wonder if there are like any anecdotal like Chicago like funeral. I I, I have heard of like people getting killed at a funeral. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, how lavish. Yeah, lavish gangster funerals. I should I should ask the next time there's a mysterious Chicago. Yeah. I should be like, because w- w- like he does like gangster walks and be like, so. Yeah. What can you tell me about a gangster funeral? Excuse um, me, sir. The, uh, we will we will cite you. That's gonna be the theme of my funeral. They're gonna a be gangster like, yeah. funeral. <laughs> like, she got pulled over for running a stop sign once and got a warning. What do you mean a gangster funeral? So, uh, are we all gonna be wearing zoot suits? Yes. Or could even it, me. Even you. Um, or do you want it to be like a more uh, nebulous idea of like what people consider to be gangster? I don't know. No, the zoot suit. You want the zoot suit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. You can do a 21 gun salute, but with Tommy guns. Also, when you're lowered into the casket, I will play zoot suit riot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which were, which was a, they were real things. Yeah, I yeah. Know, I didn't, I did not know. It's that really the, interesting. I did not know that the zoot suit riots were a real mm-hmm. and were be like a racially charged like, I did a research paper for my, like, costume history class, or maybe it was a presentation, and talked about the Zoot Suit riots, because I have to make everything political. <laughs> I'm, but, I mean, but also, every, like, everything kind of is, everything like, is these, political, yeah. these kids were just wearing it as an expression, mm-hmm. and then white people were like, oh, anyone who's wearing a Zoot Suit is, like, up to no good, mm-hmm. like... Onward. <laughs> okay, let's see. Uh, we already talked about cremation. Uh, elapsed time between death and burial. Uh, there is an inverse correlation between class 
and elapsed time. So what you're saying is the uh, lower the economic class, the longer the person was not in the grave. Yeah, not taking into uh, consideration uh, Jewish and Italian death customs. They, They are they're they're much more like structured like uh culturally so yeah just based on class uh the upper class is two to three days that was the turnaround uh for the lower class slightly over four days was the average interesting um and then uh different people told him kind of different reasons he asked you know oh what do you think that that could be and uh people had different reasons uh that the lower classes are more superstitious uh lower classes are slower to to react like and they don't necessarily have a plan in like they're they're less likely to have a plan in place um i also wonder if it also took people of lower economic class longer to get to the place yes. to see the body. So like, yeah, you just, yeah, things were slower to get in motion. Upper classes can gather family living elsewhere faster because they have more money and it takes uh, lower class, the lower class takes people longer to travel, to arrange travel because of all the other stuff in their life that they have to, you know, I was so, we were order. so lucky that JetBlue was having like, rock bottom fares for my aunt to be able to go to and from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, yeah. Like she could get there super cheap. I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. yeah it's. Um, and like, also my cousins were luckily in Murfreesboro. So it's just like a 30 minute car drive, yeah. but yeah, nice. no idea what I would have done if like people were like, yeah. Having to take like a Greyhound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, Kephart was saying that, that, that death in lower-class families are more, deaths are more disorganizing because they tend to not have funeral plans in place until after death, and the wealthy are more likely to have some sort of contingency plan or have people who can do that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, like, well, and, like, a lot of, like, rich people because they have this money they can afford to like yeah already have a plan in place like they already a lot of you know upper class would start building their monuments when they Mm -hmm. were alive um because they had expendable income to do so and to like and also expendable time to think about that shit yeah so viewing the body most at this point most people still did that which is interesting because, like, um, embalming methods would would have gotten better. Yeah. But it's interesting that, like, even though embalming methods got better and were more, people were more trying to be more lifelike, it was shorter. Apparently, uh, Lincoln, because Lincoln went on, like, a memorial, mm-hmm. like, there was, like, a memorial train tour and Lincoln was embalmed several times. And so, basically, by the time that he got to his burial place, he was pretty much mummified. Yeah. Which, like, really interesting. We should have just kept him out, like, like Lennon. Like Lennon! <laughs> Although I think that, like, I, again, I think that the embalming skills really greatly improved by the time that Lennon, Lennon died. died. Yeah. yeah. Um, Versus Lincoln, oh my god. There's a growing tendency for the wealthy to limit the viewing just to family. And uh, oh. 2 to 3%... Uh, of funerals had no viewing whatsoever. Of the very wealthy. Um, yeah. Uh, flowers, uh, types of flowers have no class distinction, but arrangements, the way that they were arranged, did. Uh, the upper classes generally had baskets or sprays. Uh, lower classes, upright wreaths, pillows of flowers, set pieces like clocks showing the time of death. Oh. Ribbon wreaths with phrases. Um, an increasing number of wealthy families at the time in 1950 uh, were requesting no flowers and maybe a charitable donation. Got uh, that. I really like the idea of a clock with the time of death. Yeah. That's so fucking morbid. That's so morbid and so goth, and yeah, I, love I love it. Yeah, I love it too. Emotionality. So, 
by the interviews he conducted, uh, the generally people said that the lower classes have the least control of their emotions, while the upper class has very little expression of emotions. And so some minority groups were more emotional than others, but the intensity was still congruent with class. And that, like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, and, and I think that seeped even more into a lot of American culture. Oh, yeah. Is the very, like, you have to be stoic. Like, yes. you can cry, but you need to be quiet. Yeah, no, yeah, there is a, um, a very kind of, like, Western Eurocentric, like, especially, like, um, with the, with the English, I would not say so much as much with the Scottish, with the English, this is kind of like, it is embarrassing mm-hmm. to show a mo- like, like almost like you are taking away emphasis of what's happened, what, like what you're there to do and putting it on yourself. And so like, that's embarrassing versus this idea of like, just show just the human act of like grieving, mm-hmm. which, you know, in other countries that is like it is considered to be you should show how much you're hurting Mm -hmm. um so yeah I think that there's a very like English there's a very like or at least like western Europe Protestant Mm -hmm. thing going on there I might be completely wrong but this is just also my experience as a Protestant (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's something. There, there's some, when you said something about English, I was like, yes, it seems like a very English thing. Yeah, like, like, oh god, like, just don't be like, um, the the fear of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. The fear of embarrassment at a solemn occasion. Yeah. Um, I think is yeah, I think it is very, and that's something that has definitely taken hold throughout American like. Mm-hmm. So mourning and mourning clothes. Across classes, long periods of mourning were becoming rarer. There were still mourning shops, uh, but as of his study, there was only he only found one department store that was carrying mourning apparel. I now really, really want to do an episode about mourning shops. Yeah, I want to like, open a mourning shop. It would just be goth shit, though. I mean, but, 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 but that's what I'm thinking. Like, a morning <laughs> shop would just be stuff that goths would just be like, I might have that all year round. Yeah. But, like, I don't know, just, like, the idea, like, when the kind of, like, cult of death, like, the very Victorian, like, kind of cult of death, that they would actually mm-hmm. have morning shops because you would have so much shit, mm-hmm. so much stuff to show your yeah. your grief through. But not, but never your face. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, funeral and funeral procession. No relationship between size of funeral and class. Um, the upper class majority attending service at parlor do not go to the cemetery. Mm. Lower class, pretty much everyone goes to the cemetery from the funeral parlor. At. You never know what to do there. I'm just like. Is it just family? What are we doing? Like, let's stand around and be awkward. The lower class, um, at the at the um funeral at the viewing, uh, lower class people comment on the body and its appearance and talk about the person. Uh, the upper class, no comments. The body is largely ignored. You just pretend they aren't there. So a lot of like upper class. There's, I guess, like, you're kind of starting to see, like, the uh, sanitization of funerals Mm -hmm. and, like, getting away from death and getting versus, like, and also because death was less common if you had, like, medicine, if you could, you know, you might encounter death less. Yeah. Versus, like, lower class where, you know, people are still, you know, not to say that, you know, especially before vaccines were readily available, like things could happen, things could yeah, strike, but it was, it was, you had better sanitation. You had better, like, it was definitely less common, especially. Yeah. After a certain price point for your family, uh, to, to deal with, you know, like it was a lot more like elderly, you know, people were dying when they were older. 
Um, or rich people oh. doing weird shit, like dying in weird rich people ways, like yeah. you know, murder suicides and right, sure, over money and yeah. Or the one of my favorite stories is um, a guy. It was in Chicago. There was a very famous, very wealthy, like well-to-do brothel called the Everly Club. And so, like, you're like, it was like a music hall, dining hall, kind of like it was like it was a gentleman's club. And there was this guy that either he either shot himself or he was shot by somebody else. But they believe, but like he was found at home. But the big theory is is that he died at the Everly Club from a gunshot wound. And they were just like, oh my god, we can't have this super upper class guy be found at a gentleman's club. So they like took his body and deposited it at home. He was quote unquote discovered at home. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just uh nice. Uh-huh. Rich people stuff. Rich people, you know, rich people stuff. Um that's what if I if I ever make money, which god forbid. Um <laughs> uh, I yeah, that's what my obituary should say. She died doing rich people stuff. Um <laughs> it'll be much more exciting than whatever. I I I'll probably like, you know, do the Liz Lemon thing and like choke in my apartment by myself and die. Um, and then your cat suit. No. Well, you, you're, well, I'm, you're, you're, I'm you're allergic to cats, so no, you can't have your cats eat you. No. I can't even sustain life with my Aww. death. Yeah. Um, well, uh, what should I call it? I think death by misadventure. Unless it was, like, doing something real dumb, like that guy who, um, that guy at Emmett Rose who got shot over a ping pong game. I don't uh, think he died, but still, just imagine, yeah. like, Death by Misadventure, what was the misadventure? Ping he got pong. shot over a ping pong game. I would want it to be, like, she went something to- Something fun. Yeah, something fun. Like, she went to, like, a waterfall and got too close, like. <laughs> yeah. She was like an Edward Gorey. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I want to die in the manner of an Edward Gorey prince. Yeah. If I don't, then I haven't been doing things right. Speaking yeah. of rich people shit. <laughs> okay, I guess like the ultra wealthy, they can have, they have a lot of land and can be like buried on their land. Yeah. So that makes sense. Ooh, like that, like that tomb. It was like the guy and he built the hotel and like, he literally built like a shrine to him and his family. And it's like this open air rotunda. And there are like, the pillars, the amount of, like, him and his, like, children, and then there's one son that, um, was, like, the black sheep and left the family, and so there's one pillar that's broken, representing that the family is, like, not together. It's fucking elaborate as shit. Damn. I will, we can, we can do an episode about it. Anyway, go on. No. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, as usual, uh, rich have large plots and headstones, Larger than the lower class. Though, at this point, that's starting to be less true in the 50s. Like, it's starting to be, like, that uh, there's lot placement seems to be an increasing indicator of class rather than scale. So, if you're in a pretty part of the cemetery, but you have a very modest headstone, you're rich. Yeah. Um, uh, Do you think that's also, like, part of, like, the whole, like, sanitation of death customs, where it's just, like, we don't maybe. want to have a giant... Gothic People monument build. Yeah. It. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, placement includes stuff like who's buried nearby, uh, whether a lot is on high ground, uh, accessibility to that area. So, the more, like, the, the more bougie the area, the more bougie the body. Um, gotcha. So the cemetery shows class distinction, much like the spatial hierarchy of the city. And then... Oh, that's... That's so interesting, but it makes so much sense. Uh, and then just a note about the potter's fields. So that's, like, end of the line. Uh, humanity stripped away. No ritual. Nothing. You're just put in a pit, and if you aren't claimed, you get cremated. Um, at the time, there were nine potter's fields in Philly. I can't, so there was, um, I was listening to, um, Wicked Words, which is, uh, an offshoot of the podcast, Tenfold More Wicked, which is a true crime podcast, but basically they were talking about, it's in, it's in Texas, and it is 
the place in the cemetery where um, basically people are executed and then they're like basically they're so bad that no one comes to get the body and that's and I oh god I'll go back and if I can remember I, I can't remember what it was called but it was it was something like kind of jaunty but also just like oof Mm. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of like the worst of the worst, mm-hmm. but like, but, the, but a potter's field is not the same thing. A potter's field is just literally like, it's a John Doe or a Jane Doe, or this person just has no family mm-hmm. or sometimes in older, in older situations, if the only other graveyard was religious, if you did something to piss off whatever religion, then you were buried in the potter's field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If you couldn't be. Given a proper it's, Christian burial. It's kind of amazing that even back in, like, 19... I mean, 1950 isn't that long ago, but, like, people were not given, I don't know, more respect, mm-hmm. I guess. Just, like, even if it was, like, a little, you know, pine box and a, you know... But yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just throw them in a pit. Like, um, and... So that's kind of the the one thing that I kind of went back and made a note at about the end was that the only social the only social class distinction he was really able to make throughout all of this was people belonging to the Philadelphia Social Register. So like really like rich weirdos, like eccentric rich people. Um so their behavior differs from the upper, upper class in places, but it's pretty much congruent. With the most extreme examples of upper class so behavior. So, like, the 1%. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, the idea that weeping was simply not done at these people's funerals. Like, you just didn't. You no, just... No sign of you emotion. You were quiet and sad, and that was that was it. If you had to weep, you needed to go somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. The notable exception is burial site for these people and aesthetics. They're all predominantly Episcopalian, and so they all had very uniform, modest grave sites. And this was... That's an Episcopalian thing, apparently. And it was from the people who were in the Philadelphia Social Social Register. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. So, and then I found an article that was, I thought was a good kind of, like, a little companion bit of a piece. yeah a companion piece uh it's from december of 2017 so it's much more recent um it was in the new republic uh it's the difficult business of dying by jess bergman and i think it was kind of a review of kaylin doherty's from here to eternity um book about like death customs um that came out but i think that's about when it came out uh but it it isn't expressly about that book. She does talk about it a lot. But um, some of the interesting things from that article is in 2014, the median cost of a funeral in the U.S. was uh, $7,181. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a $20 bill, a $20 billion industry. Go back to what what was it in what was it scaled up to from the 19... I think it was nine nine billion. Yeah. That is a that is a nice jump. Yeah, it makes the nine billion sound maybe more legit because yeah. like I I believe that. Well, and also like I want to be like oh maybe it's but it's like no because billion is huge mm-hmm. so <laughs> billion is not the same as million. It's an industry. I think it was at the end of the article, she refers to it as the funeral industrial complex. Um, I mean... It's an industry that pressures families to make high-cost decisions in a very short amount of time. Yep. Um, A 2013 investigation by the Federal Trade Commission found up to one in five American funeral homes engage in deceptive and manipulative practices, obfuscating costs and pushing unnecessary add-ons. Yep. Um... That all that all checks out with my <laughs> yeah, uh, so there's actually an FTC, the funeral rule, uh, which was um made into law, I guess, in 1984. So this was such a widespread like endemic problem that they had to make a law about it. Yeah. Okay. So the FTC funeral rule 
uh, has things like uh, you you should be able to buy only the arrangements you want. You should be able to get an itemized price list, uh, including a full casket price list of all available caskets, not just the ones on display from a funeral home. The oh funeral my. home must provide a list of alternative containers for cremation, not caskets. Apparently, some funeral homes still try to convince people that they need a casket for cremated remains no so okay so i think i talked about this before but it was extremely jarring for some reason i thought that like the lowest thing that you were like burned in was a pine box i thought that like that was just standard and they were like no you would have to pay for that what is free is a like basically a reinforced very thick cardboard box Mm -hmm. and that was I I felt like I was putting my dad in the trash and the only thing that kept me from like splurging on a fucking casket was just like knowing that my dad would be really fucking pissed (laughs) if I spent a shit ton of money on a beautiful piece of wood, like a beautiful piece of carpentry and then burned it. Uh Like I knew that he would just be like, why would you do that to, like, a tree? Why would you do that to wood? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you... That's so fucking wasteful. And it was only because, like, we had these conversations. Um, and I thought that they were extremely morbid at the time. But, yeah, my dad just being like, no. I just... Mm-hmm. I knew that he'd be like, that's fucking stupid. So we burned him in a cardboard box mm-hmm. because it was the least wasteful thing. Yep. But it was very... You don't know that going in. It is something that, like, you are not told about until you're there, and then it's just like, okay, you piece of shit, you're gonna bury the person who raised you in a cardboard box, or you're going to burn the person who raised you in a cardboard box, you cheap piece of shit. Like, it's, and, like, and the guy wasn't even, like, the guy was not actually very, very pushy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but you don't really need to be because like, there is a huge amount of guilt and pain. It's, it's basically, you are dealing this with this when you are not in a rational state of mind. Yeah. And so things that maybe you would make in like a kind of dispassionate way and just kind of like, well, that is a waste. We should maybe put money towards this. No, we should like, like maybe, you know, we need to put money toward like the health expenses. Like when you are dealing with a fresh, the grief is so fresh. And we talked about this before, like having to, you have to do so much and you have to decide so much legal stuff when you are just, emotionally raw and I and I understand the I understand the necessity of some of those things but like it just kind of feels like if you want to you should be able to like freeze the process until you can kind of like come back to it with any semblance of like yeah common sense rationality rationality. because it's just so sorry yeah anyway Let's see. Oh, there are two more things. Funeral homes must allow you to use an urn or casket purchased elsewhere. And uh, you should be allowed to make arrangements without embalming. Most states do not require embalming, even after a certain period of time. Some do say that, okay, if you're going to have the body around. But, like, you, you have to, they have to make refrigeration available to you. Oh my god, imagine all these, like, things where they weren't available. Or, like, imagine, like, maybe you built your own casket, or you built a casket for your loved one, and then them saying, like, oh no, you can't use that. You yeah. have to, you have to buy a $10,000 casket mm-hmm. from us, unless you... Yep. Oof. Um, something else that was in here that I thought was interesting, uh, is that, so, Civil War is the turning point for embalming becoming a thing in the U.S., because they were shipping bodies long distance because mm-hmm. of the war. Um, and it would also probably take a lot of, because of the amount of deaths, like having to, like the, the time it would take to identify people. Yeah. So they were, they were embalming, they were embalming them. And that's when it became standard practice in the United States. The United States is like the only country where like embalming is the norm and embalming can cost anywhere from 500 to a thousand dollars. So there's no public benefit according to the CDC. It's also, like, pretty harmful to the... If you want to bury someone in, like, a natural area, I believe you cannot Yeah, you them. can't. Because yeah. it's just literally 
preservative and like poisons. Yeah, yeah, that you're putting in, in the, the ground. ground. Um, I wonder if there's a thing of like cemeteries having to be a certain distance from like groundwater or well water. Oh, I wonder. I bet. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, the last little bit is, like, going back to what we were talking about, about, like, the nature of grief, um, is in this article, the author talks about, uh, public displays of grief are shunned in part because they undermine the relentless positivity of our economic system. Um, or the relentless positivity our economic system feeds on. That's the quote. Um, so basically, good vibes only. Yeah. Uh, and so oh noting that where it exists, standard bereavement leave is three days. Yep. And that's and that's usually only for immediate family. Yeah. So that's tying it tying it back into the whole communist part of this um that's that's like that's one of the things about this annotation of like modern mm-hmm. american death practices is it's because it is like economically beneficial get it for out capitalism. of the way get back to work don't be a downer but also spend an insane mm-hmm. amount of money honoring this person while, like, not actually getting into the act of grieving because we need you back at work. Yeah. Jesus Christ. America. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's just, I mean, I was I was very, very lucky to work where I worked, to be a freelancer, and to be able to take a lot of time off. I was very lucky that I had some close family nearby. I was very lucky that my aunt as the executrix fucking rocked the show and just like basically took like the work out of my hands, even though she was having to basically deal with burying her own brother very suddenly. And it's, there has to be a, there has to be a better way of doing this. There has to be like, I know that like, Obviously, sanitizing death doesn't make it any easier. And I really like the, there are several people, like, oh gosh, what was the mortician? What's her name? She has, like, a podcast, and she has a Is YouTube it channel. It, it might be, yeah. But, like, she's, you know, but she basically kind of is reintroducing the idea of like maybe more healthy death practice, more like mentally healthy death practices. That's, yeah, that's what the, that's what uh, From Here to Eternity is about, is her, like, going, because, yeah, it is her. Her. Yeah. I'm pulling up a picture. Um it's great radio, y'all. Yeah, uh yeah. What so, a nice goth. I know, right? Um but yeah, uh From Here to Eternity uh is is about like her it's I think it's her going around like studying different death practices. Um and it's why I'm very interested in, like, I don't know if I would be mentally or emotionally capable of being a death doula, mm-hmm. but I think that, like, learning about it and maybe taking some classes, like, that might be super beneficial just because, like, uh, also, like, in the hospital, having to answer all these questions and then being, like, I'm responsible now for this person maybe, like, going on, being on a machine which that was like the biggest thing for me is like my dad was always like I don't want to be on a respirator I never I don't like DNR like if you can't resuscitate me and then right before like they said like you're gonna you're not going to be able to breathe on your own anymore very soon and my dad was just like I want to be put on a respirator I want to be put on a ventilator and I I didn't know what to do because Mm -hmm. I also because of what was happening with him he was not fully cognitively present because of all the toxins, because of all the toxicity in his body. I know it was affecting his like mental processes, but also like I didn't want to not honor the wishes of someone who also like, I didn't want to deny like that. I didn't want to deny him that and scare him. But mm-hmm. I also like, if he was in his right mind, I don't, but, but then like, what if like he had thought that in his right mind, and then he's like, no, I want to, I want to, I want to try and fight. I want to be on a ventilator. Like I, it was very, having, having a person there that is not a vet, is not a hospital, is not a vested interest like economically, but a person who is just there to make sure 
that the person who is dying's wishes are like they are being met and they are being kept and also that like the welfare of them like had them having a good death and also like the mental well-being of the family mm-hmm. that that is the most important thing like and that being like maybe a common practice and having more people like you know like because like you know there used to be a lot more chaplains in like you know hospitals, hospitals or yeah. you know there used to be and not to say like religion is the answer but more like a non-religious thing of just like yeah having people's mental well-being actually be a priority in these things i think that would keep it from you know death sucks but it might help it suck less yeah stop it from being like both clinical and also just kind of like automatic perfunctory sort of like also just having someone there to say like it's okay to feel this way Mm -hmm. or it's okay to not know what to do like or it's okay to let them go you know like feeling like did I you know did I do it too early should I have let him like try and hold on even though like he it was just the machine but like he you know yeah just like having someone to be like it's okay to feel fucked up and weird and not know what to do mm-hmm. that would have been like really helpful especially someone who's you know a death expert <laughs> you know someone who's just like has seen this a lot and just like because you don't know what's normal like oh yeah you you have no idea but like you also have the added pressure of wanting to do right but if like in this is like if you've had like a really good rule i'm not I'm, I'm not saying like some people don't have good relationships and have to be there and like they you know but also like what to do in that case like you are Mm -hmm. like maybe it's a person that you don't have a good relationship with maybe it's a person who like has been you know abusive to you and like what you do in that situation of like you know how to keep yourself intact in that situation but like you're the because you're the next of kin. I don't know. I'm kind of just bullshitting right now. But like it's all the things that I kind of like thought of like after everything had happened and just kind of like the things that I wished had happened or the things that I wish could have been different and like maybe how they but like not knowing how they could be different and thinking like maybe if things were like this it would have been better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just a. Uh, Capitalism in the funeral capitalism in the funeral industry makes it suck more to lose people. Yeah. That's basically the end note. Hooray! <laughs> Yay! Yeah, because it just like it it just sucks. It just sucks like yeah, death, so bad. Death sucks anyway. If we could just have a way to like make it suck. Well, because I mean like death customs really, because they really started out being about like how people process death but then they become like when it becomes dogmatic and when it becomes you know no you have to do this even if you don't feel right if it doesn't you know actually help you then it becomes problematic and then adding a monetary incentive to try and make someone do something that you know maybe they don't have the money for or like that's just not something that will help them mourn or grieve then like yeah yeah yeah, and just it just fucks up the entire grieving process, and and the fact that it's not, it's not just like oh this stuff that you're talking about like flower arrangements and and you know getting the casket and deciding if you you know wanna like how people you wanna come to your funeral and like. Like, yeah, do you have room to have all these people? Should you say it's just family, just close family? Like, because you have economic constraints. Yeah, and, yeah, because it's, like, it's not just about, like, the cost of, like, the funeral and everything. Then it's also about, like, now it's about, like, okay, can you take time off work? Like, do you need more than three days? What if you have a child that needs to be taken care of? Like, like childcare is really expensive. What if, like, yeah... What if in order to make funeral arrangements, what if you're a single parent or a care, like, or a caretaker of anyone who needs constant care, but but then you also have to, yeah, deal with a funeral arrangement on top of that. Just the, the amount of stress. That's honestly why I really, really like, um, I don't want to be like, it's neat. Um, but the Jewish custom of waiting six months to put the headstone Mm -hmm. because it is 
like the, the amount of time, like my friend whose parent passed and she helped design the headstone. It, the amount of like personality of the parent that they put in, but also like a reflection of their faith, but also something that like, kind of like showed the character and personality of the family was just, and, but, but six months kind of allows you to process that way more than just like, okay, in a week. All right, here's the headstone. Like if you're, or like maybe you're lucky enough that your family member was rich enough to like already have a headstone made up, but maybe they didn't. So like, then you have to decide on something that's also extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't mean to end on, like, a downer note, but, well, maybe we do, since this podcast is about death. Yeah, Things well... don't have to be happy, as you were saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's capitalism, too. Like, mm-hmm. two downers. Death and capitalism, both downers. Death and taxes. Yeah. So, anyway, I hope. Y'all enjoyed talking about an article from 70 years ago looking at Philadelphia specifically. I think it would be really interesting to do a follow-up to that. Like, even just in Philly. Like, again, like, interviewing people and and Maybe I can talk to Ed. Because, you know, he works at the Rosenbach and, like, I've kind of gotten to know him through these, like, Sundays with Dracula, Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and now Jane Eyre. Hi, Ed, if you're listening. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe maybe um, he could get us in touch. Rosenbach is a library in Philadelphia, and if you're there, you should visit it because it's really cool. Um, shout out. But maybe, like, because, yeah, it's a bunch of people that I, because of... Um, Elisa, I now know a bunch of people in Philadelphia for no reason. <laughs> cool. So maybe, yeah, maybe I could ask them if, like, they know. Ooh, completely off topic. We can stop recording. But um, there is a book. It's because of the Mutter Museum. Is like, one of the people who works at the Mutter who has anthropomorphized books. That's probably not the right word, but it's basically books that are made with human components. So like books found in human skin. And it's basically, it's a, it's called dark something. I'm doing great at this. Um, (laughs) But it's basically about the kind of like historical, um, like the interesting historical things that are brought up with like books being about like, and also the facts that they contain, but also the um, moral and ethical quandary of like having these things, mm-hmm. because a lot of um, it's very hard to tell if these pieces of human body were obtained with consent. Yeah. Because, like, uh, this dude describes uh, taking uh, flesh from a woman's thigh, but there's no mention if, like, he asks, like, so can I, like, take part of your leg and use it to bind a book? Like, I did, there was or, no mention of that, yeah. like. Or is it, like, a Hannibal Lecter situation? Well, there's also a bunch of stuff of doctors in towns uh, taking criminal, like, people who were, like, serial killers, criminals, horse thieves. I'm putting horse thieves the worst in. Kind. The worst of the worst. The horse thieves. Oh, not the livestock. Um, but uh, basically, doctors in these towns taking the bodies and then making things out of skin, like a pair of shoes and like a car- like a doctor's medical bag out of a person's skin. Yeah. Yikes. We should. We that should be an episode. We just talk about like. <laughs> The plight of the horse thief. The plight of the horse thief. And also just, yeah, just the the death custom of non-consensually taking <laughs> pieces of a person's body to and use it to else. make something else. To do crafts. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I want to come back as a craft. To um, do crafts. Well, no, but like that's that's actually something I think we talked about it like 
your um, ashes can be mixed into paints mm-hmm. and yeah, pencils, yeah. so you could come back as a craft yes. consensually. Yeah. Let's do this consensually. I talked to my mom about that, and she was not about it. She was just like... <laughs> Did she think, was she like, Elizabeth, what are you planning? Yeah, well, no, like, she she wants to be, like, if I'm a tree, she wants her ashes to be, like, scattered, like, to, like, fertilize my my, mm-hmm. my tree corpse, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I was like, but what if, like, I, yeah, what if I turn you into paint or pencils? And she was just like, no. She's like, no, like, would you please just, like, I was, I was like, yes, absolutely. But, like, I thought maybe she would get a kick out of being art supplies, and she did not. Uh-huh. I mean, she is a, she's an artist. She's an artist. She does yeah. art. Like, it's not just me being like, hey, substitute teacher, Peggy Hill, three years running, like, do you want to become art supplies when you die? Like, no, this is topical. Um but yeah, she was like, no, I just want to be, I just want to be scattered. I just want to be fertilizer for your tree corpse. And she's like, okay, that's very nice. Aw, cute. <laughs> so anyway, um, I guess we should wrap up now that we're off topic. Um, I want to come back as like using people for crafts. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I'm sorry. I lost it. <laughs> so... This was this was our our first and hopefully several episodes. Hopefully we'll 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 get our shit together enough to to talk to about do more. Some other it only stuff. took us like a year and a half to record another episode. Like a year. We'll edit that out. Um, yeah, I I found some other like really interesting articles about you know some stuff that kind of like ties into to. The, the, the political angle-ish, mm-hmm. um, socio-political angle, um, and, yeah, just some other stuff about cemeteries. What are you saying? It all fits into the political angle because everything is political. True, we covered that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can slip that in there anytime you want. It'll be the people who are listening to a podcast called A Communist Plot. And realize, and then like realize that immediately that it's not like an alt right. <laughs> like they're just like, oh no, they're just like super happy about it. Like I think they would be fine with you slipping politics in wherever you want. Yeah, that's kind of my whole. It's your whole thing. <laughs> yeah, my whole thing is to be like, you know, what Karl Marx said, and then my mom immediately tunes out of what I'm saying. No. Um. I just I gotta make it creepy. My thing is just like communism. But also Lenin is a mummy. Yeah. It's a perfect pair. Communism and death. Uh, so, yeah. Um, we will think up some other topics. They will range. We also... I've got to break down and listen to our other episodes because I mentioned things that I want to do episodes on. Don't write them down. Yeah. So I have to go back and listen to my own voice. Oh, yeah. That's the worst part about editing these. Um. Uh, right? I just need someone else to edit. Like... <laughs> Anyway, so until next time, stay stiff. Stay stiff. Did you ever think when a horse goes by that you may be the next to